evidence and answers. The NIV, New King James, New Living, New American Standard. All of these are translations of the Bible, but which one should I use? Is one better than the other? And why are there so many? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will share about the translations of the Bible and answer many of your questions concerning the numerous versions on the market today. Here's Pat now. In our series on the Bible, we learned that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and without error. In the original manuscripts, the doctrine of inspiration and inerrancy apply only to the original manuscripts. What we have are copies of copies of copies of copies passed down to us through the centuries. And one of the things we also discovered in our series here is that we have a very accurate copy of the Bible that has been passed down to us over the centuries. The transmission of the biblical text from manuscript to manuscript, has been very accurately recorded so that what we have is very accurate to the original. Now, I'm often asked the following questions when it comes to biblical translations. Why are there so many different translations? If the Bible is indeed the inspired, inerrant Word of God, why are there so many translations then? And what is the difference between the translations? And which translation, then, is the best one or the best one for me to use? Well, let us remember that the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So the challenge for the Bible translator is remaining faithful to the original text, but at the same time communicating the most accurate meaning of the text in our modern English language. Any one of you who speak another language other than English knows this very challenge. It is often impossible to do a straight word-for-word translation from one language to another. On top of that, idioms and figures of speech, if translated word-for-word directly, would make no sense when they are translated from one language and one culture to another. This is the same challenge Bible translators face. Now, remember, the Bible is written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Translation is not as simple as simply replacing Hebrew or Greek words with English words. Each language has grammatical structures that differ from the English language. So if we simply replace Greek words with English words, the translation would not make any sense because the word order and the grammar and the structure of the sentence would be different from our modern English. So it is actually impossible to reproduce the exact same form from one language to another. Translation, by its definition, means changing the form. So translation involves changing the form from one language to another while capturing the true meaning of the original text. A second challenge that there are also figures of speech used in various cultures of the Bible. If we translated the idiom or metaphor used in a biblical text, word for word, in many cases, it would not make any sense to us. For example, when I was teaching in Nepal, I once used the idiom while I was teaching, the idiom beating around the bush. Now, my translator was immediately confused. It made absolutely no sense to him. 
Therefore, I had to explain the idiom that this idiom is used to describe someone who is saying a lot but not answering the question he was asked. Here, the translator must try to remain true to the words of the original text but convey the meaning so that we can understand the author's meaning and his intent. Here's another example. In Genesis chapter 29, verse 17, it states that Leah, it says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel, her sister, was beautiful in form and appearance. Well, what's, what does the term Leah's eyes were weak? What does that mean? I mean, that's a literal translation there. What does it mean? She couldn't see? She needed glasses? No, actually, that's a Hebrew idiom there. It means Leah was not good looking. But in contrast to her sister Rachel, Rachel was very good looking. So you see, if we translate it literally word for word, sometimes the idioms and the figures of speech don't make sense in modern English or in our cultural context. Here's another one. In Job chapter 29, verse 4, the literal Hebrew reads, In the days of my autumn. However, this is a Hebrew idiom, meaning in the prime of my youth. And if you look at all the biblical translations, none of them translate it literally in the days of my autumn. The New American Standard Bible translates it in the prime of my days. And the NIV translates it in my prime. Another challenge is that we are thousands of years removed from the biblical culture. Since there is a significant time gap from our culture to the biblical culture, the translator must also understand the historical context and the culture of the author. These are the numerous challenges that translators face. And with all these challenges, the translator is faced with also interpretive decisions regarding grammar, syntax, and a range of possible meanings of Hebrew or Greek words requiring the translator to do some interpreting so that the text makes sense to the reader in English and our contemporary modern culture. The question then before the translator is, which takes priority? Word-for-word -word accuracy or conveying the meaning of the text? Now when it comes to Bible translation, there are two approaches to biblical translation. One approach is called the formal equivalence approach, and the other is called the dynamic equivalence approach. Now, let me try and explain to you the difference between these two. Formal equivalence, or what's often called a literal translation, the definition is this. In formal equivalence, the translator seeks as far as possible to capture the precise wording of the original text and the personal style of each biblical writer. The translator in this approach attempts as much as possible to render a literal word-for-word -word translation and attempts to closely follow the syntax of the original language. Now, proponents of this approach believe that this is the most objective type of translation. Formal equivalence translators focus on faithfulness to the original form, not freedom of flow. Many Bible teachers consider this the best type of translation for serious Bible study when one desires to come closer to the original wording of the original text. The understanding may be a bit more difficult and the reading may not be as smooth. And for this reason, many pastors prefer to use these types of translations in their study 
but not in their preaching. Now, there's a few criticisms to the formal method of translation. First, every translation is at many points a trade-off between literal precision and readability, between formal equivalence in the expression and the functional equivalence in the communication. In translating literally, one can fail to convey the true meaning of the text to the reader in their language and in their cultural context. Literal translations of idioms and figures of speech in the ancient Hebrew culture would not make any sense to us in our culture today. And so one of the criticisms is that really a straight word-for-word literal approach is not possible. Even in the formal equivalent school, there is some dynamic interpretation there where the translator will deviate from the word-to-word translation and do some interpretation in there. But that's the formal equivalence approach to Bible translation. The emphasis is to try to stay as close to the word-for-word translation in the grammatical structure to the original Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek language as possible. The types of translations that follow the formal equivalence approach would be the King James Version of the Bible, the New King James Version, the American Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, the Revised Standard Version. Those are some examples of translations that follow the formal equivalence approach. Now, the second approach is called the dynamic equivalence translation. And this style rose to popularity in the 20th century. And this approach uses a meaning-for-meaning translation rather than an exact rendering of the original text. In this approach, the meaning takes priority over trying to follow the word-for-word approach. The meaning of the original text is translated into what the translator feels is an equivalent thought in the receptor language. The goal is to be as clear and natural to the reader as the original text was to its original readers. The translator argues that it is not of simply translating words, but conveying as clearly as possible the meaning that the author intended. Now, the majority of scholars agree that a good translation must communicate the intended meaning of the original text. So translators use contemporary vocabulary for theological and cultural terminology. They avoid early Jewish cultural terminology for a more contemporary and natural sounding flow. For example, Luke chapter 9 verse 44, the English Standard Version, which follows the formal equivalency, a more literal approach, translates Luke chapter 9 verse 44 like this. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, the phrase, let these words sink into your ears, that's an ancient Greek idiom. But what is the best way to communicate it in our time? Well, a dynamic equivalence translation, for example, the New International Version, translates it this way. Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. So you see how the New International Version captures the meaning of the author's words. 
and translates it into a more contemporary way which is more understandable to the reader of our time. Now, some criticisms of this approach is that critics say, well, dynamic equivalence leaves room for the translator to transfer his or her own biases into the translated text. A dynamic translation thus incorporates a translation with a bit of commentary. Sometimes biblical texts can be translated according to the theological bias of the translator. And so those are some of the criticisms of the dynamic equivalence approach. Some examples of translations that follow the dynamic equivalence approach are the New International Version, the Good News Bible, today's English Version, and the New English Bible. Now, what about paraphrase translations? What exactly are paraphrase Bibles? Well, paraphrase Bibles, in this particular translation, the translator does not use the original language of Greek or Hebrew, but paraphrases it often from a translation. So many of our paraphrase Bible are translated from the English translations of the Bible. There's no systematic methodology. Therefore, this approach can be a lot more subjective to what the translator thinks and believes. These are more loose, free-flowing translation that reflects the author's personal idea of what the original text is saying. And so in this approach, translators exercise more literary freedom than even the dynamic equivalence approach. It can often function like a running commentary. For example, John 1.1. In most translations of formal equivalence and dynamic equivalence, John 1.1 reads like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now compare it to a popular paraphrase Bible. The Living Bible translate the verse this way, Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. So as you can see, this is a loose interpretation and deviates from the original phrasing of this passage. Now, examples of paraphrase Bibles are the popular The Message and The Living Bible. Now, let's do a short comparison here, comparing translations. Let's take the middle of Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and see how it reads in the formal equivalence translations. The King James reads like this, Christ, who being in the form of God thought it was not robbery to be equal with God. The New American Standard Bible reads like this, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. The English Standard Version reads like this, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Because these translations follow an essentially literal philosophy of translation, their translations of the original text are almost identical. And the reader has a better idea of what the original author had written. Now, let's take a look at the same verse using translations that follow the dynamic equivalence approach. Once again, Philippians 2.6, in the New International Version, it reads like this, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In the Good News Bible, it reads like this, he always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. The New Living Translation reads like this, Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. 
Well, as you can see, the translator here does not follow the wording as closely as the formal translations, but the meaning is communicated with greater clarity. In the formal equivalence translations, it uses the phrase, Jesus was in the form of God, whereas in the dynamic equivalence translation, it uses the term that Jesus was in very nature God. So as you can see, the formal translation might be a little bit harder to understand, whereas the dynamic equivalence translation seems to communicate the meaning of Paul's message a little bit more clearly, whereas the formal equivalence follows the word-for-word structure of Paul's verse more closely than the dynamic equivalence translations do. Now, let's see how the paraphrase Bibles translates Philippians 2.6. The Living Bible translates it this way. Jesus, who, though he was God, did not demand and cling to his rights as God. The Message Bible reads, He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. You can see that these paraphrases deviate from the original in bigger ways than the dynamic equivalence Bibles do. Now remember, it is not possible, and those of us who speak in different languages understand this, it is not possible to do a straight word-for-word literal translation. Even in the formal equivalence approach, there are some dynamic elements in there where the translator must use his interpretive skills to convey the meaning of the idiom or figure of speech in a way that English readers today can't understand the meaning of the text clearly. So although the formal equivalence approach may be closer word-for-word, word, it's not an exact word-for-word word literal kind of translation. Now, what formal equivalent translations would I recommend? Well, I would recommend the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the American Standard Version, and the New King James Version, if you like that style of Old English. What type of dynamic equivalence translations would I recommend? Well, the New International Version is a very good one. The New Living Translation is another good one. The New English Translation, those are some in the dynamic equivalence approach that I would also highly recommend. Are there any translations that I should avoid? Well, generally speaking, translations done by a single person generally are those you want to avoid. Today's translations are done by a group of scholars in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And many of these translators also know the related language of Aramaic and Akkadian to help further their understanding and their translation of the Old and New Testament. And also, when it's done by a group of scholars, there's also a check and balance system as well. But when a translation is done by a single person, that accountability is not there and you're completely relying on that person's skill in the languages and it, it can often be biased towards that person's theology or particular agenda. Another translation to avoid is the New World Translation, which is the translation of the Jehovah Witnesses. If you look in that translation, many phrases that aren't in the original text are added or deleted in favor of the Jehovah Witness theology. The classic example, of course, is John 1.1, which translated, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Also, in the New World Translation, if you look at the New Testament, one of the interesting things to note 
is that Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jehovah is the one and only true name of God. However, Jehovah never appears in the New Testament. If you look at the Greek manuscripts, even the interlinear Bible that the Jehovah Witnesses use, the New Kingdom Interlinear Bible, in the Greek, the term for God is Theos, God, or Kurios, Lord. Jehovah is never mentioned in the New Testament text, yet where the word Kurios is and Theos, often the word Jehovah is interjected there, changing the text and Jehovah's Witnesses do that because of the bias of their theology to sustain their theology that Jehovah is the one and only true name of God. Another translation I would avoid is the Joseph Smith Bible. Those are the kind of translations that I would avoid. So, which is the best Bible translation for you? Well, I think you should use various translations. Unless you know the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, I think to study various translations would be very helpful for the serious Bible student. Students should read several translations and compare. You know, formal translations will help get you closer to the original wording and structure of the original text. Dynamic equivalence translations can help you get closer to the intended meaning of the text. So it's good to have both types of translations and to read and compare as you study. So looking at the different translations can help clarify your understanding of the text. Well, what about paraphrases? Well, paraphrases are fine, but be sure to have a formal translation alongside and understand that these are indeed paraphrases and not translations. Well, I hope this brought some clarity on this whole issue of Bible translations. Remember, although the Bible is written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, the translators have done an excellent job in conveying the meaning of the author's intent into our language today so that we have translations that accurately communicate the meaning of the text in contemporary English. And also remember, although some passages may be difficult to understand, there are also many tools, Bible dictionaries, word study dictionaries, encyclopedias, lexicons that can help us understand the meaning of specific words that may be difficult to understand. Along with that, there are also some excellent commentaries. There are numerous tools to help us understand the biblical text. But overall, we can have confidence that the meaning that the biblical authors were trying to convey has been translated to us faithfully and accurately. The Bible is the most translated book in the entire world. And I'm sure God understood that that was going to happen. He foresaw that. And therefore, he chose languages that could be translated so that the meaning of the text could be communicated in languages throughout the world. And as I travel throughout the world, even though I meet brothers and sisters who speak in different languages and in different cultures, there's a resonance there. There's a camaraderie when we're talking about the Word of God, which increases my confidence that indeed God's Word can be translated successfully so we can understand the vast majority of the meanings of the text in which the biblical writers were writing to us. God's Word is inspired and inerrant in the original text. It has been transmitted faithfully and accurately to us 
throughout the generations. And the final process, it has been translated accurately from the original languages into the language of the modern reader. I hope this clarifies the issue of Bible translations for you and it excites you to study the Word of God in its fullness in the many great translations that are out there. God bless you as you continue to study His Word and may you not only master the Word of God, may it also have mastery over you. Hope you'll join me again next time here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's study on the translations of the Bible. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please partner with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you. Join us again next time on the air or online for more evidence and answers. Oh, 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 oh.